A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 268 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, our episodes continue to broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and even on Spotify and also right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like the lingering presence of a dark lord of the Sith creeping cold from the walls and into my soul, the doctor of timelines and a Wookiee-sized Star Wars fan in his own right, our own Dr. Jim Lehane. You know, they make medicine to relieve you of the dark side itch um, that you get in those unmentionable places. <laughs> so pl- pl- apply, apply vigorously, and he may leave you alone. Um, but I'm here. I am awake. I am celebrating the holidays. Should I not say when we're recording, just in case this doesn't make it out for no, a I mean, while? This- it's it's perfect because like you know just like that time of year the cold of the story just kind of creeps into your soul and just claims you as your own. It's like being out in the snow with with just one layer of clothing. You know, there's no escape from the cold, the chill, and inevitably death that comes with it. <laughs> well, I'm glad we took that turn. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, how are you doing, Mark? Pretty good, pretty good. Yep, got done with uh, corn maze stuff. Got uh, Scout Klondike up on the horizon. Lots of cold adventures for me coming up. <laughs> How's things up in New York, Jim? Ah, uh, keeping busy. We just decorated for Christmas. Uh, we got ourselves. We found a, a new place to get a tree this year, and we got a probably nine foot tree. Uh, we didn't Ooh. actually measure it, but we have a very high ceiling, and uh, it's probably our. our are, well, definitely the biggest tree we've ever gotten, but it's probably the best tree we've ever gotten. This is the first time ever that I've been able to hang up every ornament we owned, and we didn't oh, have nice. to filter uh, what we wanted to hang up. <laughs> that You know, I never think about that because that's always been the same size because I've got one of those generic fake trees. So, you know, it's always like, well, which ones go up this year? But, yeah, my grandma had, yeah, big, big open vaulted ceilings, so she had big trees. And, yeah, we never had that problem. Yeah, I like big trees, good, good and I cannot lie. <laughs> the festivity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's rain, raining out today, so it's a good day to be inside and talk some comics. Mm-hmm. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we look back into the far past of legends to Kevin J. Anderson's The Sith War. 
Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you a quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. Nearly 4,000 years before the birth of Luke Skywalker, the galaxy faces its greatest threat since the founding of the Galactic Republic. In a time when Jedi were numerous and the Sith Empire but a memory, an ancient evil rose again, corrupting one of the Jedi's finest and igniting a war that ravaged worlds. The Sith were reborn, ties of friendship and family were betrayed, and the course of the galaxy's future is forever altered. I'll kick that to you, Jim. <laughs> All right, sorry. I was uh, I didn't know if you were going to keep going or dramatic pause or what. What? what? No, yeah, I mean, I mean, we'll get to it later too because I want to talk about the the opening crawls of each individual comic. But yeah, I, I just put that one there because uh, I just want to set the pace. All right, so we're looking at the Sith War six issue arc, uh, released uh, August. 1995 through January 1996, it was released directly after the Dark Lords of the Sith, of which we covered uh, last time we were talking about these, and uh, a couple month break in between, but after the Sith War, the Sith War was when they pretty much finished their the series, and they jumped back to the Golden Age of the Sith after this. I don't know if they had Redemption, which obviously is the final arc of the Tales of the Jedi uh, planned or not because we eventually come back after those two ones we covered a while ago because they're like a thousand years before this. Um, But it takes place according to the inside flap of the omnibus, which is generally what everybody is going by. Um, They haven't changed this one. Uh, The 3,996 years before the Battle of Yavin. Oh, sorry. Approximately... (laughs) 3,996 years. It's like, when you say it's like approximately 52.37 pounds, that's, uh... (laughs) So we're looking, it's about, it's calling it a year after the last arc, the Dark Lords of the Sith, but I believe canonically it's only six months after the last last, uh, series, so we're not that much after the last, uh, last arc but we do have a little bit of time between here and now and I, I was telling you before we even um started recording that i think up like going chronologically what we've been going through this is so far my favorite um arc i think the mm-hmm. arc is solid i think the artwork is solid uh obviously there's things here or there that are not um like you kind of look at it and you go what on what on earth are they doing there? Uh, but <laughs> overall, it, it's generally it, it's generally probably the best of uh, that we've seen. Yeah, and I, I I just really enjoyed it. I liked how they wrapped it up. A lot of a lot of storylines. Um, you had essentially three three baddies, and they all got pretty good um, endings or quote mm-hmm. endings. Um, we know that uh, some of them will come back or all of them will essentially come back later in some form or another. Um, but 
ending the Tales of the Jedi storyline, I think they did a very good job. Yeah, I, I'm in that same boat. This is one of my favorite series, um, you know, and as a culmination of everything later, you know, if you were reading it chronological, it's just a great story. But if you've read it with everything else kind of leading up to this moment, it really kind of delivers, especially for Ulick. Um, and then, like you said, you know, certain fates we pick up on later, like Kuhn, when we see him uh, in the Jedi Academy series and I Jedi, uh, for example, I, I I went back and forth with the art because you, you know how we do. We're going to ask those questions. Wasn't it good? Was it accessible? How was the art? Uh, could it be adopted into canon? And then we'll swing back on that with the art. Like it was it was what Dario uh, Carrasco Jr., I believe, was doing the the pencils. So he kind of like set the tone for the art. And I, I, at first I thought I was going to be like, you know, highly critical of it. Cause there were a couple characters and stuff that I was like, yeah, I didn't care for that. But for overall, the art on this was really good. Like I, I actually enjoyed it. I like the grittiness of the ships and stuff. Sometimes it does get a little confusing as to what's going on. Um, there are certain panels and stuff where I feel like the action could have used one or two more panels in the story to kind of really flesh out oh, what was going on. Definitely there. We'll, we'll get it. It's <laughs> near the beginning. It like jumps. And I'm like, you literally couldn't put one more page in there to explain what happened. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, w- was it accessible? I-, I think that just the nature of how this story was created, I think that, that you could jump into this with no knowledge or, you know, knowledge of, of events leading up to this. And I think you're going to get the same kind of bang for your buck. I think it was a very accessible story, especially if you're reading it in the single issues, um, you know, the the opening crawls of each single issue really kind of flesh out a lot of the backstory that you're not even really getting in the actual comic, which is almost kind of a a sad thing in the aspect of the omnibus and the other versions of how it was collected. Because even though we get the cover pictures, it would be nice to get those crawls with those cover pictures because of the amount of details that go into that. Um, And I'll I'll hit on that more once we get into the spoiler actual part of it. Which is good that you're going to cover it because reading the omnibus, I did not read any of the crawls. Um, Because obviously like you can, for anybody out there, if you want to, uh, the Wikipedia has all of the crawls for all the comics that I've noticed. And so you can mm-hmm. find them if you want to. Uh, but if you're just reading through the omnibus, not even like you won't even know you're missing something. Right. It, it's very it, it's hard to tell where one issue ends and the other one begins And the only real pickup is just slight little bits of the narration kind of go back just a smidgen to kind of recover stuff. And usually and, and I mean, that's it. it. Usually it'll give you a place if you have a <laughs> if you if you if you get a place name. Almost every one of those is the start of a new issue, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. Well, and that's just it. Like with six issues. You know, that's, it's a lot of issues, but like I feel like it's a good chunk of the omnibus when you're when you're reading it by the omnibus. I mean, it's quite a section of the book. This, it's almost a quarter of the book. This one and Dark Lords of the Sith take up um, nearly at least two thirds of the omnibus, maybe even more than that, because the other two stories in it, Redemption, is a shorter story, and um, the Freednet Uprising mm-hmm. is uh, almost non-existent. It's like two issues of a comic book. Right, and I want to say the Legends uh, collection that the recently come out adds a Tales uh, story in it too. I can't remember which one, but there's an added story in that one. There is a ta- um, there. You're right. There is a Tales story that takes place in that time period. Uh, I could look it up while you're. Um, 
I th- I want to say it's like Tales thirty four, but I'm I'm reaching. Whereas whereas you, the doctorate, are going to have solid information. <laughs> you don't come with guesses. <laughs> uh, it's Shadow and Light. Um, I don't know if that's the one in the omnibus, but it, that is the tales that takes place during it. Uh, it takes place between or the end uh, after this story and before redemption. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. See that, that there's a, another story out there. I've got to go hunt down cause I don't actually have that one. Um, you know, could this be adopted into Canon? I, I think that this is an easy yes, but there's one of those little asterisks at the end of it, because like the only thing in my mind that would prevent this would be establishing timeline events in Canon that once they apply what's going on with the Sith, that might make it impossible later to slip this in. Because I feel like this is in a time frame where, you know, right now with what's been presented in the High Republic, it wouldn't be a problem to slide this in in a couple, you know, in the past a little bit. But we don't know exactly when the Sith kind of like disappeared. Um, Bane, when all that happened with the Rule 2, like I don't know if they've given us a new canonical date for that event. And so, you know, the amount of time that passed between that, having no Sith and then having a couple Jedi rise up in Legends, that happened a couple times because the the time frame was so big. But I don't know if we're going to have that same gap in time available in, in the actual canon background. I know the Thrawn novels teased time periods like they definitely teased their interaction with the Sith war they also teased mm-hmm. time periods, but not nothing specific. It was, I think, I, I, I have a feeling it's roughly the same in Legends as this is in canon, about a thousand years before the movie is when the, um, like, Bane all took place. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about the quote-unquote Sith Wars, at least that the Chiss took an, um, uh, a role in, if that is mm-hmm. supposed to be these Sith Wars, um because a lot of these, a lot of the tales uh, events that it's like, oh, these major events take place over like three hours. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the major Sith war. Well, right, that was an afternoon lost. <laughs> right. Well, even this story, like when you when you think about it, like if certain aspects of how it went down with certain invasion parts happening sooner than other aspects. Um, Ulick and, and Kuhn have different ideas of how they should go about coming at the Republic. And it's like, if they'd have been a little more coordinated, you know, it might've lasted a heck of a lot longer than it really did there. I mean, because yeah, it was, a, it was mostly a coup really happening. Um, especially on Kuhn's part, like he really kind of hammered the, the Jedi, whereas, uh, Ulick was like, well, I'm going to hammer the Republic. And it was kind of like, if you guys would have worked together, you guys could have probably done a clean sweep. <laughs> like, could you imagine how different things might have been? Yeah, if you if you just sat down, had a discussion, like, you know, like blackboarded the problems that were arising <laughs> and, like, tried to figure out a timeline for how you wanted to get about this, you could you could have, uh, you could have you taken over the galaxy. But no. Could have had it all. You just, uh, you just threw it away. On a uh, a wasted a wasted effort. <laughs> uh, you know there there was some things about this story that I thought were cool. 
in the aspect of like we we see uh, certain fates come full circle. I think it was Odin or, uh, you know, he was prophesized to end up dying uh, in his library. And like, so we see that happen. Um, we see the tragedy that befell Ossus that, you know, later in uh, the Dark Empire series and stuff, when Luke goes there, we, you know, we see the devastation and we wonder what happened, uh, but we get to see it firsthand. And I, I think that those type of events in the old Legends books were, were some of the events that I enjoyed the most, like when it was like, Kind of like when uh, Kip Duron did the same thing with the Star Crusher, you know, like yeah. you triggered a, a sun going over and like you've got only so much time. Like those are some of my favorite stories. I mean, even in the New Jedi Order, uh, in the first Vector Prime book, when they find out, you know, that, that Diablo is coming in, the moon on the planet is going to crash. And like they've just got a, a finite time frame going where they've got to get as much as they can out. And that I think is compounded on Ossus because you've got just thousands of years of Jedi history that's about to be lost. And it's like, what can we save? Like, I, I think that that's probably one of the major events going on in the background of this story that I absolutely love in the grand scheme of the legends timeline timeframes. Yeah. I liked, I, I really liked master Ood. I think that's how mm-hmm. you pronounce it. Um, the, the tree, uh, the tree Jedi I liked um, because it does, it ties in with the later, books like he, this all comes back of his sacrifice and everything we get to see him again um i don't remember exactly if that was part of the um the jedi academy trilogy or if he comes back in something else i'd have to look that right up, uh because I know-, I know i was i was thinking the same thing i'm like i remember luke getting the stash from underneath him and him talking to luke or maybe it wasn't Luke and it was Leia. Like, so I'm kind of like, maybe it was dark. Cause I remember when Leia in the dark empire series, she comes across a Vima Deboda and they kind of like, were like who that person was kind of shifted for a while, depending on who you were talking to before they finally, like, no, she's a descendant of, <laughs> but at first she was drawn like this great old lady. And you're like, Oh, is that real? Is that the, the daughter? <laughs> yeah. I'm looking it up right now looks like dark empire 2 yeah that's right so i really liked like i said i really liked him um i i liked how i don't want to get into spoilers um Mm -hmm. uh, i was surprised i thought um some of the characters fates i had in my head and i was waiting for it to happen and it was a lot different than i had thought i remembered Mm -hmm. um which we'll get into uh, when we get, when we go into the, the spoiler area, and but it was it was one of those oh that makes a lot more sense, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah, I had a few of those moments too. So I guess with that, uh, you know, for those of you that want to stay spoiler free, this is your moment because we've analyzed their attacks, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate in our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. So really quick, you know, I mentioned the opening crawls. I was kind of wanting to tackle a few of those as we go, as we figure out where one episode or one issue ends and the next one begins, because there is a lot going on in these. Um, So the first one, it's Edge of the Whirlwind. It has been six months since the former enemies of Exar Kun and Ulic Queldroma have joined forces. 
forced into a common goal by hypnotic visions of a reborn golden age of the Sith. Through his dabblings and forbidden teachings, Exar Kun has fallen completely under the spell of the ancient Sith ways, and he knows he must gain additional disciples to fan the flames of his planned victory. Meanwhile, in the Ironwalled city of Sinigar, in the Empress Teta system, Ulic Quadroma has stumbled down the dark path. Driven by a distorted need to avenge the murder of his beloved master Arca, poisoned by dark Sith toxins and seduced and manipulated by the wily lover Alima, he has allied himself with Exar Kun to bring about a new golden age, following the dream images that fog his mind. His mission is to gather an army awesome enough to take out even the mighty Galactic Republic. But as their plans proceed, far more watchful eyes on the loyal Jedi Knights, other vicious crusaders turn their attentions to what may seem to be easy pickings, while Ulick is preoccupied. Yeah, so with this first issue, we get two very different plans. Um, and like what you were saying is that if they worked together, like things could have gone well. Um, we have, I think, the this may be the first introduction of Mandalore. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, they're they're the clans of Mandalore at this point. Yeah, so and and Mandalore is in charge, but like there's very little detail as to them, and they're just like these warriors. I mean, yeah, this I, as far as I recall, this is their first introduction to Legends. Yeah, so we um, Ulick is trying to get the Mandalorians on his side, of which uh, he goes up. Hand to hand combat against Mandalore. Um, I think it's just Mandalore at this point. He's not mm-hmm. Mandalore, though, whatever. Um, right. Th- this one's particular. And he defeats him, I think. Um, this is the thing I mentioned before where I'm like, I could have used the whole extra page on this battle. It just <laughs> kind of ends. He's like, right. he like grabs a staff from one of the other Mandalorians and it's over. That's it. That that was it. He's like, I grabbed a staff, and then you're done. And the rules were really odd too, because to the death. <laughs> well, and it was Yulik couldn't stand on the ground, like he couldn't touch actual dirt, <laughs> like he had to be up on the chains, and he didn't get a war beast, but Mandalore did. Um, yeah, there there was, it, and it was interesting too because like Mandalore, they're just they're just after the fight, you know. I mean, and Yulik at this point, like. He's just like, these guys are, are screwing up my plan, right? And then Mandalore's like, well, why don't we just do this one-on-one? Because, I mean, my people, they, they have the top-of-the-line weapons. We're going to wipe you guys out. Like, But I give you an opportunity here. You know, one-on-one, we can settle it all. And that's where Yulik's like, well, well, if I win, then you guys serve me. And it's like, that was that was pretty brilliant. I mean, Yulik in a few moves really adds to the strength of the new Sith armies. But it, 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 the funny thing is, like, we'll duel to the death, but if I win, you follow me. <laughs> like, if if I win, you'll be dead by duel to the death. Like, I'm pretty sure <laughs> by the rules of duel to the death, you're not following anyone if you lose. That's, that's <laughs> true. I mean, that that is definitely... But is it... Do they actually say to the death? I mean, I, they do say duel a lot. Mandalore's weapon of choice oh. is the war mount favored by his men, the Basculus war droid. Open combat model optimized or customized to Mandalore's personal specification. Mandalore has written other rules to throw the balance to himself. Gueldrama is not permitted a mount. He is not even permitted to stand on solid ground. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely rules to it, so maybe it's not to the death. Nine. I'm looking because I could have swore 
it may have been another fight later because it was also um, I may be mixing up his battle with XR Kuhn's battle um, with his old master because they definitely also said duel to the right. death well, he- and you need to and he's like if I win you'll follow the dark side like again not what duel to the death means. yeah well here he get he reaches out uh, very well Captain Rook says you look Contact this Mandalore. I will give him the terms of his surrender. And then Mandalore comes on. Yes, I know oh. of you, Jedi Carrion. You. Are you the champion who will meet me on the field of honor to decide the fates of this? Yeah, so he's, he just wants to do a battle. No, no, I found he it. found it. Um, oh, no, you're Mandalore, right. You're right, he does say it. I'm, I'm offering you a chance to deal with me simply with one stroke of your vaunted lightsaber. Meet me on my own world on the plains of Arkul. Where you and I will battle to the death. <laughs> oh, yep. Good point. Good catch, Jim. Good catch. Yeah, that wasn't really well thought out on their part. <laughs> I mean, and, and that you're right. Like, if they would have had a moment where after he knocks down uh, Mandalore off the war mount and he's got the blade in hand, and you know, have a moment where he says, you know, this is where I would kill you, but. <laughs> I'm going to enslave you instead, which they even bring that up later that, you know, he enslaved an entire group of people um, referring to the Mandalorians. Yeah. So Ulix, uh trying to get people to, to help him out. So he gets the Mandalorians. They end up getting a whole a fleet of ships. And so he basically gets an army and he gets the ship. Meanwhile, that other guy, the guy in charge um, is off, quote, quote, recruiting followers. I don't like he, he goes to was it Ossus? Yeah. He goes to Ossus where the Jedi students are. And he's like, come with me. I'll show you uh, what what you what you're not learning. And it felt very um, uh, problematic politics where they're like, yeah, yeah, don't listen to what they're telling you. I'll tell you the truth. They're not teaching you what you, you need to learn. And he gets a bunch of them, and they're all like, um, I don't know if I should be here. He's like, no, no, you're fine. Here, come here. I'm going to stab you with shards of glass. <laughs> like, the one thing that really slows them all down is the fact that he's not a Jedi Master. Like, everything else, they're like, well, you know, but if you're just, and so then when he goes to his master and he, he takes the Sith holocron, he's like, he made me a master and he gave me this. Like, like, oh my God, dude, that is, that is so 15 year old. No, but it wasn't his, it wasn't his master. He killed another master and he's like, oh, he made me a master. And, uh, yeah, he gave me this, uh, and that, and that was pointy That triangle. was the master that was foretold what would die with his books and stuff. So I, I thought that was kind of in- cool that, you know, his, his, uh, prophesized death came to fruition. <laughs> Otherwise it wouldn't have pro- been prophesized. True. And I, I liked how Kuhn was like, it's a Jedi amulet. And everyone's like, Jedi didn't make amulets. <laughs> he just rolls with it. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't know what you're talking about. Who's the master here? I already told you it's me. Right. <laughs> I, and I do think it was funny though, when the master, when the Jedi master died, he goes, I wonder if, he would have liked to better if I'd have sealed him in a crystal. (laughs) Like the fact that he, you know, even knows about ways to trap people into the Sith crystals. It's like, I I always thought that was an interesting 
aspect of the story and, and dealing with the Sith was the way that they were not just fixated on that life after death, but also ways of torturing people by life after death. It's, um, they're, they're, they're good at the cruel. <laughs> we also get Naomi, uh, Nomi's weird hair, uh, is back where it's just like, what style are we going to go with? We don't know. I probably the weakest link in this entire story is Nomi. Yeah. Like they done her wrong. Um, she ends up just being the, the crying woman on the sidelines. Like she almost does nothing up until the very end. And even then they're like chastising her for it. Right. It's like, what have you done? You're joking, right? <laughs> like, I did. It, it, we had one of two choices. I picked one of right. them. Right. Like, what, what do you want me to do? And, and they're like, <laughs> even when, when she was being trained, it, it's like, this is a devastating attack. And I'm just like, well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not ideal, but I mean, he's still alive. He's living life like every other person that's not force sensitive. And you're acting like it's a death sentence. <laughs> no, it's... It, they're acting like it's worse than a death right. sentence. Like, like they, like they have, like she has completely destroyed his entire world, which she may, which she may have, but he was also um, part and parcel to an entire genocide mm-hmm. of uh, of the annihilation of not only Osis but what other 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 planets that are nearby in that system? When ten stars go supernova. I guarantee yeah. you it's going to have an impact. Yeah, a lot of people going to die. I did like the way that uh, when we see Alima's Sith sorcery at work, uh, the first panel, you know, it's like you actually see this giant ship and, and the docks are like, we don't got anything big enough for you. And they're like, don't bother. This ship can't be repaired because it doesn't exist. And then it disappears. And it's like four or five big ships with the whole fleet around them. You're like, oh, dude, that's that's slick. Like, I, I remember other stories where they would use similar uh, space nebula and stuff to hide and, and do that kind of an ambush. Like it's a classic trope, but I love it. Yeah, no, I, I liked, she seems much more competent. Mm-hmm. I think they, they've definitely bettered her character over the course of the series to like, I think when she's, when, when she comes back, after betraying Ulick at the end is the one part where it's like, I don't think she would have done that, but it was more of a saving face sort of like crying to Ulick. Oh, I'm so happy. Right. Um, but yeah, she definitely has become like one of the principal bad guys in the series. Right. And the invasion on the shipyards, I think that's probably the section where for me, the art kind of felt rushed. Um, you know, you see the troops invading and stuff and it just, I don't know. There's a lot of details that I feel like are missing compared to some of the other ones. Like the character pictures are all great. Like there's a lot of attention to the, to the regular characters and stuff. When you get to them, like on the next page of, of the one from where they're going into the shipyards, when you see Ulick again, like the detail of his Sith, uh, tattoo on his forehead, the, armor that he has it almost feels like it's also mandalorian in a way with the way it's being worn like i i really get a kick out of the main character art but yet the rest of it just kind of falls apart in this section for me 
Yeah, I can see that. A lot of the the backgrounds kind of go into technical mush. It's like we're drawing something super fancy and technical, but it doesn't actually mean anything. Sort of drawings, right? We also see the the conflicting uh, temperaments of the two main guys. You know, because uh, Kuhn's like Ulick. My half of the bargain goes forward. I have 20 knights ready to begin training under my instruction. Only 20? I have two entire armies, Kuhn. And I have 300 of the Republic's newest warships. Well done, well done. We'll need all the armor for the engagements I have planned. Gather more ships while I try, while I train my Jedi. And that's when Mandalore's like, I've got the codes for the ships. They're ours. We can leave for Coruscant at once. So, like, you know, Mandalore's all about, like, taking over everything whereas coon's like still setting things in motion like i feel like if these two would have been more on the same page from the get-go because like as soon as ulick has the army he's he's full motion he's like he's got his warlord (laughs) he's ready to show up on the back door slit some throats take over (laughs) well it's not even the back door he immediately leaves from here to coruscant right I mean, and he's he's got and ideas it, it, for like, why that works too. Yeah, it's like you're right. We're uh, we're playing two separate games. I'm playing the long game. You're not, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, neither works out because they're both playing their own their own game. But yeah, like Ulik immediately once he gets the Mandalorians, who Mandalore, um, like turns heels from a you can't enslave us to yes master anything you say master i'll do whatever you want um real fast right and uh and yeah they take their their whole army to coruscant which um doesn't go so well for them no and this is where we we jump issues we get to the next of the crawls that are missing um, so we go from Ulick saying a true dark lord would be ready to go to war. And then we jump to uh, Captain Vanaculus reporting and there's all the destruction and stuff. So the opening crawl for this one is the Battle of Coruscant. Six months have passed since Exar Kuhn and Ulick Queldrama joins forces as they now draw together their plans to bring back the Sith Golden Age. Exar Kuhn has spread his insidious teachings to the Jedi Learning Center on Ossus as if... He is some sort of prophet, and young and impatient Jedi students have begun listening to him, including Credo and Ossus Willem. Kuhn's real reason for coming to Ossus, though, is to secure a knowledge repository sealed in the Great Library, a Sith holocron. But in stealing the Sith holocron, Exar Kuhn kills the Jedi Master Odin Ur, who tries to stop him. Ulic Quadrama has taken on the military prong of the overall strategy. After a fearsome and dangerous duel, he gains the loyalty of a fierce warrior race, led by their masked leader, Mandalore. In a lightning raid, Ulick also pounces on one of the Republic's great shipyards at Forfrost, securing a space fleet for himself. Despite Exar Kun's abnomination, Ulick brashly plans to use his new military might for a direct strike on Coruscant, the center of the Republic government. He sees this as a way for a quick and decisive victory with a minimum of bloodshed. Still reeling from his previous surprise attacks, the Republic does not even know the identity of its new enemy. And I think that that's a cool aspect of it, too, is like they, they don't. like they, As it dawns on them what's going on and who's in charge, 
there's a lot of insult to injury for the Jedi Order and the Republic. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's like, wait, who's attacking us? Oh, that's not good. <laughs> also, I need to discuss Kratos for a minute. Mm-hmm. Actually, probably less. He is a terrible character. <laughs> um, like, I really do hate that guy. At least the other, um, I feel like, oh, what was it? Os? Yeah, Os um, the Yeah, Os Willem. He's also a terrible character, but at least they give him a reason to turn against his master. Right. Kratos is just spineless. Right. It's like, I, I turned against my mate. Yeah. And... Whose fault was that? <laughs> and his mate's done the most damage to all of them. Like, I mean, she's cut almost every one of their faces now. <laughs> well, that's a, when they they show um, they show her attacking Kratos. I don't remember her name off the top Silva, of my head. Or Silver. Uh, Silva. Yeah, that's uh, when they, they, they show her attacking Kratos. The way the art's drawn, it looks like she beheads him. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I thought the same thing. And I'm like, whoa. That was harsh, and then they show him in the next screen kind of holding his hands like, she cut me? Like, she cut? Yeah, she cut your head off. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't attached to anything in that previous panel. <laughs> right. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we are in the middle of the battle for Coruscant where Ulick is it trying to take the entire capital in one fell swoop? Meanwhile, Exar Kun is trying to get um, all the Jedi on his side. And I don't remember if he realizes that his words ain't doing nothing <laughs> or if he needs to add a little oomph to it. But he then shatters the, um, the holocron, the Sith holocron, where the glass shards then fly into... The most of the Jedi that are there, uh, because Kratos did not get um, any of the glass shards in him, specifically called out that he did not get any of the glass shards in him. Mm -hmm. And um, then you get your, I guess, 19 unwilling subjects who are now infused with the dark side. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, there was a couple things during this time that that struck me. Like, Kuhn's got two lightsabers at this moment, like. It's not single one that he's using later that has double blades. He actually has two, uh, which makes me think, like, did he always have two? And he just kept one off to the side. Like, um, but it also talks about how when the Sith holocrons get destroyed and it enters them. Where was it? It was talking about how not only did it incorporate into him, it says... Uh, Let's see, like the window panes of the past, the crystal shards show Ossus Willem reflections of Sith grandeur, the glory that must come again. The thoughts, the need, the Sith are absorbed into the unwilling Jedi curiosity seekers as the crystal shards vanish, incorporating themselves into the Jedi. And then it talks about later about how uh, it infused with their ambition. And it was it was talking about it was uh, like shards of their presence like they weren't full sith i mean I could, i'll find it at some point here but i thought that was interesting of how they were possessed yet not possessed it almost felt like the way loki possessed hawkeye in the avengers where it was like okay i've got all my wits about me and all my thoughts and stuff but i'm just now my heart's committed to your side like they weren't quite That's, zombies yes. in a sense but yet they had all their willpower because they were fighting to get away before that all happened 
Yeah, they basically can still be blamed for what they did. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's like they have all the self-control, but none of the will to do it. Like they, they now they want to be a part of the Sith by activating the like the the dark side of themselves. Yeah. Bum bum bum. Uh, the battle here with the Mandalorians on Coruscant, like it, it, it definitely looks like it was one hell of a battle. Um, and what I w- was really struck by when I was reading this this time is, for me, how the sequel trilogy kind of dropped the ball by moving the, the capital. Like it was always going back to Coruscant. They totally changed that, and yet you go back to this, and it's like these great big battles to take over the capital world and, and how hard it was. And like, I think about like even in the new Jedi order, when the Vong actually took over the planet, how hard it was for them to do it and what all they had to do to actually secure a foothold. Um, you know, it's just one of those interesting aspects. Like here we are, the center of the galaxy is, is in the center of the story and it's just done in such a nonchalant way. And, and the fact that Yulik almost flipped a coin and got a whisper in his ear from Mandalore. Here we are at the, the galactic capital knocking on the door going, we want it all. <laughs> yeah. And it seems like the only reason that they lost is because of the betrayal by Alima. Yeah. And that, um, she lo- she like lied to, I believe the Mandalorians and said, yeah, he says to go. Yeah. And, and that's <laughs> and Mandalore was sitting there uh, later in the next issue. He's going over, why they lost because he wants to make sure they win next time. And he's like, this doesn't make sense. We were winning. Like, (laughs) and he starts to doubt right away because of the calculating nature of his mind. Yeah. So I do like, I I do find it funny with how Mandalore is treated in this, but he is like, they, they did make him a smart character. Mm -hmm. Like, like, he he kind of hitches his wagon to Ulick and stays there um the entire time. Yeah, and she I mean she lies hard too. She's like, It's time for Ulick Quadrama to deal with his own kind. And, and Mandalore's like, Pull back. We haven't even let me speak to Lord Ulick. Quadroma is dead. The fleet is on its way to crush us. Her excellency wants you to take Quadroma's place as a warlord. As you command. He's like, We're pulling out. <laughs> and that's when Ulick gets captured and they, they do what Nami's going to do to him later, but they do it in a way like I, if this was what they were expecting her to do and her made it permanent, like, I guess I could see why they were a little more like, what did you do? You can't undo that. Whereas like when they're doing it right now, it totally works. They decompact, you know, he's disarmed right away. He can't do anything else. Um, they use their blocking technique. It's it's Voto and Sunrider together. But what's interesting also, though, is that the rest of the Jedi Masters are there. They immediately sentence him to death. Like, you look well, Droma, Jedi and traitor, you will stand trial, and you will be sentenced to death. Like, <laughs> what's the point of the trial? You've already made up your mind, bro. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's how trials work, buddy. <laughs> yeah, they don't know how a duel to the death works or a trial, but... <laughs> or a trial to the death. Right? <laughs> the action, though, goes back and forth between Ulick and Kuhn very well. Um, you know, they're definitely, like like you said at the beginning, there's a lot of characters that do get time. But these two are the heart of the story. So you definitely feel their back and forth. And, like, Nomi's gets tied to Ulick's 
Um, you know, so the other characters' stories, like when Alima goes back, she'll kind of get tied with Kuhn here in a second as Kuhn's like, oh, I'm not going to have this. You're not going to betray my boy. <laughs> well, that's when Mandalore goes back to Kuhn and goes, so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think Ulick's gone. <laughs> I think, I think we should go get him. Um, his Uber didn't didn't go to pick him up <laughs> and so we 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 need to go get him and xr coon's like <sighs> fine <laughs> and, I, and i feel like so right before we get to that when when coon takes off and leaves uh yavin four right before we switch to dan Tuine, i feel like that's where issue three starts is the page with dan Tuine and coon's master yeah, see like when you get the 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 page where it gives you a location, it's like, oh, this may be the uh, the start of our next uh, section. Yeah, and the and the art kind of gets a little heavier on the first page of an issue too. Like, you, just a lot more detail to it. Um, the opening crawl for this one is the trial of Ulic Queldroma. Exar Kun has lured a group of other Jedi, including his former training partner, Krado, and Master Thawne's apprentice, Ossus Willem, who are curious to see Kun's much-touted new knowledge. He takes them to his secret hideout on Yavin 4, where he shows them the forbidden Sith Holocron. Claiming he is about to remove the taint of the dark side, Kun smashes the Holocron as the Jedi gather around, but the shards fly outward as if with minds of their own, containing the residue of Sith sorcerers from a forgotten age, the shards strike the unwitting Jedi and are absorbed in a whirlwind of images from the Sith Golden Age. Kuhn tells his possessed converts that the other Jedi will resist, but together they will show the Republic never to underestimate the power of the Sith. Meanwhile, Eager for a decisive military victory, Ulic Quadroma decides to strike Coruscant, the capital world itself, with his self-centered, <laughs> with his self-centered lover Alima, and his masked general Mandalore. Ulic launches the assault. What he does not know, however, is that a group of Jedi Knights, including his brother Kay and his friend Nomi Sunrider, along with Master Vodo Siask Bosk, have come to Coruscant to stop him. Yulik no unknowingly goes forward with a small force, a certain capture, while Alima abandons him and grabs the position of power for herself. She orders a reluctant Mandalore to retreat, claiming that Yulik has been killed, and in the command center, Yulik finds himself without allies and unable to defend or defeat the Jedi Knights. A prisoner, he is hauled off by the leader of the Republic Senate, who vows to bring Yulik to trial immediately and execute him as a traitor. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, there's a lot more going on in these than even the actual narrative in the story itself. Like, I feel like leaving these out of the omnibus and the trade paperbacks is almost a crime. <laughs> well, I, I can understand it because you lose the flow um, of the stories, but it, you're right. It adds a lot. Um, it also gives you not only the background, but the background you didn't get. So like the the, you get A and C, but it gives you B right as well. Right, yeah. I mean that is something too that I'm missing from the newer stuff. It's like the opening crawls seem to be only something that you've seen anymore in the comics. So occasionally the books will do one, but I miss that man. That was like definitely a staple of watching a Star Wars film. Well, it's 
They should just do it in the, the shows. Just uh, every episode, give you a crawl. Five <laughs> minutes of crawl. All the Tales of the Jedi shorts, <laughs> they're just five minutes of crawl. <laughs> and like three seconds of story. And it's like, and that's over. So we move on. We now are on the trial of Ula Kaldrama, which I feel doesn't go very far. <laughs> it's a, not really much of a trial. Mm-mm. No, I, I did like, though, that we saw uh, Boss wrap his uh, cane, and I feel like he was doing it with uh, the Force because it cracks it down on the ground and it splits a rock. There's some interesting introductions in this one because you know if as you're just going it kind of slows down but knowing it's a new issue you know you you see dantooine then you go to uh Sinigar where you've got alima and she's like torturing everybody that still kind of wanted to follow Yulik and stuff then you've got mandalore this is that scene i was talking about where he's like really going nuts it's all in the war room on Sinigar. mandalore analyzes the recent abortive attack on coruscant why why did we fail my warriors must know. Our honor demands it. What did we forget? How was my master Yulik so easily captured? Or did Alima call a retreat before the tide had turned? Has she just betrayed us? I must consider this further. You're like, yeah, dude, you're on. You're on to it. Um, and, and this is where, I, again, I, I'm enjoying this art. Like, the way the characters are drawn, she's drawn, the, the creature that's, you know, eating the people, the armor of Mandalore himself, like... It's there's a lot of detail here that sometimes is missing. Like for it all being pencils, it's like I don't know what changes. I think it was just skill. Like by because by this issue, you're right. The art has evolved to the point where this issue's great. Mm-hmm. Like some of the shots in this issue, when you see XR Kuhn for the first time holding the double bladed lightsaber, which is our first double-bladed lightsaber ever um, right. before Darth Maul. This, he's the first one. And um, he even calls it out. He's like, you like my lightsaber? Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool, right? <laughs> if he had said it's pretty cool, right, I probably would have died. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to defeat your stick. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, we get, uh, we get Ulick showing up. Uh, or no, sorry, Exar Kun showing up to the trial, and this is when they finally um, do their tag team power up against all the the Jedi that are there. And Nomi's still crying, <laughs> right? She's she's the sobbing Robin of the group today. Uh, I when Kun shows up, like we see his presence before he enters the room, and I didn't realize it at the time because he's the one that releases Ulick from his chains with the force and they just kind of like drop off of him. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, the doors open up and Yulik comes marching or uh, Kuhn comes marching in. Uh, but it, it's almost like they needed a little bit of narrative there to point that out because it's just like all of a sudden that they just drop. And then if you're not like paying attention to the next panel, you just, you would miss that. I don't even think I got it <laughs> even with the narrative. <laughs> No, but then we get Ulick going up against the other Jedi. But I don't think I don't think Ulick ever kills any of the Jedi up until the end, mm-hmm. because they always gave him an out for redemption. 
um is that he he never really was he, he never was overall the bad guy whereas we see xr kun go full-on bad guy when he is battling his um former master uh at this point and um, basically takes him out straight through his little stick with his double-bladed lightsaber. Well, and, and think about this, too. The guy that uh, in the last issue declared that they were going to murder <laughs> Ulick, he's the leader of the Senate. I mean, that's basically the chancellor that Kuhn murders before he kills his master. Yeah, but the battle here with his master, um, what is his master's name? I forget his master's Boss, name. that's Votobosk. Okay, yeah. Um, when he kills Bosk, this battle is probably ten times better than the Battle of Mandalore. Like, this is what I was hoping for in the Battle of Mandalore. Like, you get it here. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, because his master's fighting with that staff. I mean, I think that's something that I would like to see them do more of. Like, like uh, Chira Imwe, right? Like, you know, you could tell me all day long he's not Force-sensitive. Lucasfilm says something fool was force sensitive but it would have been cooler if they would have embraced that and made him make his staff like the way this one works you know like it'd be cool to see somebody take a wood staff up against a lightsaber because they've endued it with the force like that is just awesome yeah no this the whole like this whole battle is probably my favorite part of the entire arc that we're looking at because they drew it out so well the art is beautiful. The narrative really works well. And also you get the buildup of this storyline where Exar Kun's been evil since panel one that we've seen him, mm-hmm. but nobody's admitted it. And finally we get like the chance for them to like finally see like, yeah, I, th- I think, I, I think you're, you're not one of the good guys. Yeah. And, and the other cool thing too is like it, like you said, with the narrative, it tells you about how much Kuhn's been doing in the background. As he's going up against his master, he's like, so what could you possibly offer me, Master Voto? I've already heard your teachings, and I found them wanting. By myself, I've built hundreds of temples, unearthed an ancient ship, studied the teachings you and the other Jedi Masters are afraid to know. You see how powerful the Sith teachings are if they're used correctly? And that's when he, you know, just starts really hammering down and then he pulls out the other end of the lightsaber. And it's like, dude, like, yeah, this would have been a cool moment to have seen in a live action. <laughs> I like, I like his, I've built hundreds of temples and dug up one ship. Right? right? <laughs> in all that time. Really? One, one, wait, hold on. Let's let's take a few steps back here. You found one ship. <laughs> I hear the other guy had a whole fleet, and you found one oh. ship. He's like, it was the Star and you're Crusher. bragging. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a Star Crusher. It was the. It, it was like it was Freedom um, Ned ship, but yeah. The, the 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 it was the the Santa Maria. <laughs> he didn't even have the Nina and the Pinta. It was just the Santa Maria. It's funny, too, because, like, so when he finally strikes down, he he's, uh, cuts through his master's staff and then strikes him down in the middle, and then his master disappears. And it's like, like, whispers from the past, Exar Kun recalls words that Master Voto once said to him. I sense something missing in you, an empty place hidden even from yourself, a place that remains unseen because no light escapes from that region of your heart, which was one of the first 
things that his master had thought about him when we were introduced to him back uh, two issues ago or uh, two trades ago. Yeah, but he he's I think if he wasn't gone before at this point, he is gone. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's full committed. And so he sends off. Like the, the he takes um, Ulick back to Yavin Four, and he sends his little his nineteen twenty minions off to kill Jedi Masters, and it has a definite Revenge of the Sith vibe mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, like this whole part is like comes out what almost a decade before Revenge of the Sith, and it like feels like Revenge of the Sith, where they're they're eliminating the Jedi Masters, the Sith are taking control. And uh, it's rather impressive uh, storytelling that you're able to mimic the movies that haven't even come out yet. Right. And and he's doing it like the seduction of Anakin, too. I mean, granted, he does accelerate it with the breaking of the holocron. But, you know, he's like, I found these old teachings. They go back to a way that's even further back than what our masters want us to know. They're keeping this from us. I want to share it with everyone. The only way we can go forward is to cast these old guys that are holding down this information up to the side. All right, they're out of the way. Now we can bring back this old technique. Like, I mean, you know, I I could see how people get caught up in that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, he is, in a sense, making a cult. We're just watching it spread out really fast, but... You know, I mean, if if you calculate in travel time and all that stuff, like I'm sure he's sitting around the lunch table talking to these guys and idle chit chat about his stuff and adding to the little worm in their ear. But I mean, he's definitely gone about it in a way that that intrigued them. And by the time they realized what was going on, then he broke that holocron and really added to the the seeds of their darkness. It's, it's it is a good story, man. Yeah, I know. Then. Uh... So most of the Jedi Masters are killed, if not off screen, within one panel. Um, but we do get Os Willem showing back up with Dino Master, Master Thon. <laughs> and that's where um, Silvar and Nomi and um, Vima have all kind of... Uh, relegated back to and of course us us willem and credo come looking for a fight and i liked how we got a call back to the lake monsters <laughs> right because we had talked about the lake monsters a bit and we get a call back to them where they called out the lake monsters and tried to send the lake monsters after the Jedi. There's a few callbacks too, because right before that attack happened, we see Ulick starting to remember when he pined over Nomi. Um, and, and that's starting to, you know, give him more of a leg to kind of push Alima to her death. <laughs> yes. And so, like, we have basically the attack fails against Master Thon. They capture Os Willem, and Kratos runs away because um, he's a terrible character. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the reason that's given in the story. <laughs> well, and, and, he, and the Master Thon, he kills one of the beasts, and he's like, It's an evil day. I have been driven to kill. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos. <laughs> <laughs> like my cousin, like they look, they're, they're my dino cousins. Right. And, th- and this is where uh, Kratos gets his parting shot from Silva too. It's like, hey, you get a, a three clawed 
facial scar, and you get a three clot facial scar. Is this the the one where she? Be- it is the one where she beheads him. Like, like <laughs> does it? Like, look at the picture. Doesn't it look like his head is torn off his body? Oh no! Yeah, it totally does. Yeah, I mean, even the angle is is weird. Like, are are we? Yeah, it does. Because, like, at first I thought it was upside down. But, no, yeah, it, that totally looks like his head's flying off of his. <laughs> That's great. That is and so great. I'm like, wow, that was really brutal. And then you see him again in the next uh, page holding onto his cheek. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> apparently he's still hanging around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It definitely gives you that uh, anime feel of like, you know, when the Power Rangers go to do their, it's Morphin time. <laughs> You're in the, <laughs> the lines of the action. <laughs> so then we get a bunch of the shots of Masters going down. And Yathom was definitely the Yoda in that scene, you know, where Yoda uh, stops, stops his assassination and he thinks about everyone else because that's what Thawne, he's like, I only hope the other masters are safe. And then we get that that panel you're talking about. It's a bunch of like it's the next couple pages uh, show a bunch of panels of masters like I liked the uh, the splash page of the masters but it keeps going on the next page with a where we get back to a storyline of oh why did she attack her master that's so terrible do you think that that's where this issue ends or do you think it went a little further than that because like i almost feel where thawne says i hope the other masters are safe and then we switch is where we go to the jedi holocaust crawl which would be Ulit Quadrama's impetuous raid on the capital world of Coruscant has ended in disaster. While Ulit's general, Mandalore, leads troops through the city streets, Ulit's lover and co-conspirator, Alima, has secretly betrayed him, allowing Ulit to be taken prisoner. Alima usurps command of the uprising and orders Mandalore to follow, leaving Ulit to his fate. But Mandalore quietly uncovers proof of Lima's treachery and vows to rescue his master, whatever it takes, while Alima and her Kraith warriors develop plans for a major strike. Mandalore seeks the aid of another ally, Exar Kun, the Dark Lord of the Sith. Meanwhile, Kun launches his own insidious strike at the heart of the Old Republic. He has dispatched his squad of Sith covert... His Sith covert... His Sith converts... <laughs> Power-hungry young Jedi who've been possessed by ancient evil spi- ancient Sith spirits on a dark mission to strike swiftly and unexpectedly to kill their own Jedi masters. On Coruscant, Ulic is brought to trial for the rampages against the Republic that he has sought. Though Ulic's Jedi friends speak out on his behalf, including his brother Kay and Nomi Sunrider, the prospects look grim. Then the chamber doors burst open... Kuhn enters, flanked by Mandalore and a well-armed Masi warriors. Using dark Sith powers, Kuhn takes over the proceedings, fleeing Ulic and then manipulating the great speaker like an amusement puppet before killing him. The entire trial has turned into a game for Ulic and Kuhn after Master Vodobiesk, uh, Kuhn's own teacher, comes forth bravely to challenge him. After a furious battle, Kuhn kills his former master on the Senate floor to the horror of all spectators. Victorious, Kuhn and Ulic take their forces and depart for Kuhn's secret Sith stronghold on the jungle moon of Yavin 4, proclaiming that their conquest has only just begun. So the, the, this issue has to start with 
um, the page where Nomi and Silvar arrive on Master Thon's home planet. Because if you look, um, the way it's laid out is just uh, Umbria in the Stennis star system, and it kind of sets up like what's going on. So that, and also the cover of this issue is uh, Nomi holding back the 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 dinosaurs from the, the lake. So that, okay. So it's a little before that Jedi master Holocaust. And it is cool though, the way we see it, like some of the, uh, the apprentices go head to head with theirs. Like the one kind of like burned his master in his shed. Like, dang dude. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. <laughs> the shed that kind of looks like Yoda's hut. It's like, like, <laughs> <laughs> And then one, a whole ship went up. Like, ouch, man. Like, <laughs> these guys are not messing around. <laughs> but I like the one on the next page where the, the Jedi Master is struck down. And is like, but I have sworn to fight for the light side, even against you. <laughs> it's like... that, that was one of the panels that I was talking about in the spoiler-free part. Because, like, the next page, she's down on the ground, too. And I'm like... Did he force lightning her? Like, they, what happened? I think took each other out, but it's so confusing. You're right. I, I had to read that a couple times to try to figure out who was. I'm like, wait, so are you the Jedi Master? Because, like, it is confusing who is who and who took out who, right? You were my dearest student, Zona. And then she's like, nothing personal. <laughs> and she's like, looks like she strikes him down. And that's when he falls, like you said. And then he's like, even against you. And you see lightning around her ankles, and you see, like, her knees buckling, but there's not really, like, movement to it. It's just, like, that's the motion captured. And then the next panel, the Jedi investigators are around both their bodies, and you're just like, oh, okay, well, homeboy went down hard. But then disappeared. Took her down. Because he's gone in that uh, picture uh, where she's laying on top of him. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, another, another Jedi one with the Force. Because, again, back in Legends, we didn't know that this was a special technique. I really, truly liked it better when a Jedi was one with the Force. They actually became one with the Force than it being a, a trick that was taught to certain Jedi. They all, you, you prefer um, evaporating Jedi? <laughs> well, because, like, okay, so at the time when that change came out, like, uh, New Jedi Order had one of the Jedis that Anakin Solo was uh, friends with, and she died doing something, and she disappeared. And then it was like, then they, they were like, oh, no, it's a technique. And you're like, well, then how would she have learned that? Like, that don't make <laughs> sense. Evaporating <laughs> Jedi. No, it's, yep. it's, not a, it's not a technique. It's just basic physics. Right. It only happens on certain planets where the uh, buoyancy has to the be boiling certain. temperature is above, buddy, uh... <laughs> and it's interesting too when they talk about uh w- when the investigators are looking and they're like they're like Zona but why would she attack her own master? She must have had powerful weapons and they're holding her lightsaber and I'm like is there like a plot point there that I'm missing because I don't recall anything about their lightsabers being special. Yeah, I don't I don't think uh, I thought most of their lightsabers they all have the same type of lightsaber. And right. so I'm wondering if maybe those are Exar Kun took from uh, Naga Sadao 
or not mm. um not our freedom ned uh because yeah, could be. because the two that he is holding are the same type that she had and they're all these um kind of gnarly uh gnarly little things and so they all look identical mhm and this is where we're back on Yavin 4 and and the boys are uh getting things uh ready they're they're marking off all the little tick box crossing the t's dotting the i's and of course um Kado and Alima are a couple of those T's that need to be crossed. Yeah. And I like how he comes back. He's like, we, we failed you. XRI failed. <laughs> he, he's such a whiny little. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, that's my favorite part. He's like, um, so Alima, we have this special weapon we need you to use against the Jedi. It's okay. You could go take the weapon. Oh, Kratos, you're back. Um, Oh, you failed. Yeah. Um, oh, we have a job for you. No, no hard feelings. No hard feelings. You're going to go with Alima and you're going to use our special weapon. <laughs> Mandalore. I, I'm your I'm your work commander, Lord Yulik. Have I disappointed you in some way? Why do you deny me the chance to leave this mission? Like, <laughs> you can just see Ulik below the panel, like elbowing him in the ribs. Dude, yeah, but put down trader. your hand. <laughs> Put down, stop, stop, put down your hand. Let's go talk. No, shh, quiet, quiet. Let's go talk in the the other room. Let's go talk in the other room. You're cool. You're cool. We're cool. We're cool. You and I, yeah, we're cool. And Alima, honestly, like, she should have known. I mean, Ulick basically gave her, I'm fine. Because she's like, what's troubling you, Ulick? I'll bring his glory. And she's like holding him and he's kind of like, eh, got this disdainful look. And he's like, nothing. Good luck. <laughs> like, that wasn't just that it's fine. Like, dude, girls, you should have known better. Your, your, your lady radar is broke. Like, my wife would have been on me like, what is really going on? Like, she wouldn't have left. She would have been like, what is going on? Like, that would not what's, have been an okay comeback. Are we cool? Yeah, we good. We good. <laughs> go, go do your thing. We'll talk later. <laughs> right. Oh man! So she takes her her fleet to the the what was that cluster? What was it called? Um, it's like cluster Cron cluster. Clepix nine or something like that. No, it was the, the Cron cluster. Oh yeah. And so you had the uh, the ship there where the the Jedi who were investigating. Um, the death of that one Jedi master, which is the reason that we saw that one Jedi master's death a little more in depth. Um, they show up to her and she's just itchy. Uh, like I'm like, weren't they, wasn't she supposed to wait for the Republic to show up? And uh, like, she's got the itchy trigger finger and she's like, <laughs> I want to use my new weapon, which rips the heart out of a star and shoots it at um, these three Jedi of which they instantly get vaporized and at no point does she go, does a star need the core? <laughs> right. I'm sure it'll be fine. I, You know what, what struck me when I was reading this was how she basically sterilized the ship. You know, like, and I was like, man, it'd be kind of cool to, like, have another story where those ships, like, showed up drifting into space. <laughs> Yeah, so she 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 pulls the heart out of the star to use as a weapon, which causes the star to go nova, which causes the other, I think, 
I think it was nine star or the other ten stars, the other nine stars to go supernova as well. And one imploded. <laughs> well, the the one that she pulled the 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 star out imploded, yeah. and um, yeah, and then all of the other ones kind of went supernova, and I love how they just kind of ignore physics in this, <laughs> because if like say we're gonna get into a little science lesson, if our sun exploded, do you know when you would know? Oh, God, you'd burn up before you'd know, wouldn't you? You would know when you burned up because the time <laughs> that the shockwave took to get here would be the same as the speed of light. And so, like, you cannot see the sun exploding. You would be in the explosion before it happened. So they would only, <laughs> because that's how speed of light happens, you only can see as fast as it light can travel. So mm. they cannot see the star exploding that explosion would be on them by the time they knew it had exploded. Ah, so they're in soupy physics. <laughs> yes, they're they're they're. I I am equating it to they had sensors that told them it exploded and they needed to get out, sort of thing. Star Wars sensors, um, <laughs> because yeah, it was uh, it, it was interesting. But at this point is when Alima and Crado. Uh, um, found out that they done been betrayed, and my favorite <laughs> done image, dirty. My favorite image of Alima is on the page when she's in the middle of the supernova, right? The two-page spread. <laughs> yeah, that is that is good because like it's got a very Indiana Jones and the melted Nazi face going. <laughs> and the the funniest thing about this page is like. It's like Alima, in her last moments, Alima suddenly knew that her treachery had been exposed. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kratos, however, dies without an explanation. <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, twist yeah. the knife in a little more. Because you sucked as a character, you don't even get a fulfilling death. <laughs> But you're right, Then and it's all ten stars feed a sudden inferno more devastating than anything the galaxy has ever seen. And, like, you see it from, like, a far distance, and it's like, you can see all the stars going up, and it's, like, creating a target effect of light. <laughs> well, it's like, like uh, yeah, on the next page, you can see it again with the explosion um, on its way to Ossus, where um, Ulick and... Uh, XR Kuhn are now flying down onto Osis to pillage um, all the goods that they can get. <laughs> right. And that's and that's the aspect of that, that time frame. Like, yeah, you're right. The physics of it wouldn't quite work. But, I mean, the aspect of we got to get in and we got to get out because this is coming. I, I don't know. I, I like the intensity of those type of stories. Like, <laughs> I'm like, go in there and raid the heck out of it. You know, the more you get, the better, the more you save, like save as much as you can. <laughs> well, it's, it's, they had all the, the Mandalorians, I think, on down there with them, helping them with the raid. And so y you get a lot more. Yeah. Kind of like uh, Andor with all the, the money. It's like you get a, get everybody involved, get the money off onto the ship. <laughs> yeah i mean and then of course you know when you're on the planet of the great library it's busy like there is a lot going on i mean everybody's got scrolls in hand and <laughs> everybody's bailing so yeah we pretty much the end is just like 
random battles happening on Osis while also trying to um trying to loot the planet. Like it, the Jedi are trying to save things, XR is trying to loot things, and K and Ulick are going into battle mode. Mm-hmm. So so do we see their end confrontation? I think that that has to be like the next issue. Yeah, I think it is the next issue because because uh, I think Ood, his fate is in this issue, and then we go to the next one. So I feel like I feel like even because I feel like where it says the Great Jedi Library is the next issue. So you're have, thinking. Page. Right after the the giant explosion in space where they're landing. So the, you're thinking the to victory is the last p- page of the yes. Other that's one. what I'm thinking. Obviously, be... I have the comic. I can look it up, but I'm not going to. <laughs> right, right. It's more fun to guess when you're in the middle of the trade, like where it is, like, you know, because when you when you're right, it's like I just won the lottery. Um, yes. Yeah. No, I think cover, you're right. The cover of five has Ulick fighting K. Right, because five's cool. crawl is brother against brother. Exar Kun dispatches his Sith possessed disciples on a mission to destroy their own masters. Across the galaxy, Sith students attack, slaughtering great Jedi though sometimes at the cost of their own lives. On Master Thon's world, Nami, Sunrider, and Silver are attacked by dark side creatures manipulated by Ossus Willem and Krado, who was Silver's mate. Nomi and Silver and Thon succeed in driving them back, capturing Ossus Willem. Krado escapes, but not before Silver slashes his cheek, as she once did Exar Kun. When Krado returns to report his failure, Exar Kun and Ulic Quadroma describe a new plan. The ancient Sith ship, buried on Yavin 4 by the Sith Lord Naga Shadow, contains horrifying power once used to manipulate the fiery heart of stars. Kun and Ulic charge the treacherous Alima with command with commanding a mission to lure the Republic forces to the isolated station, Complex 9. There, the power-hungry Alima will use Sith magic to detonate stars and devastate the Jedi. Ulic knows he is secretly sending Alima to her doom to pay for her crimes. The hapless Krado, eager to restore his own honor, begs to go along, and Mas- Exar Kun grudgingly agrees. Meanwhile, in the aftermath of the slaughter of the Jedi Masters, Dace Dieth, Sholem Ku, and Coral Todd lead the main Republic forces to battle. But Complex 9 was already been devastated. They spot a Sith ship fleeing into the densely packed stars of the Kron Cluster. Weapons blazing, Dex, Dace, and the other Jedi lead the pursuing Republic forces into a trap. Alima triggers the Sith weapon and rips the core out of a star, instantly devastating the Jedi fleet. But what Alima does not suspect is that she has set up a chain reaction. All the stars around her explode, disintegrating the great Sith ship as well. Alima and Krado die, howling in betrayal. The shockwave from the multiple supernovas churn across space like a tidal wave of doom at the speed of light, heading directly for the Jedi Archive world of Ossus. As the planetary evacuation begins, Ulick and Exar Kun rush to claim the precious artifacts before the firestorm arrives. Yeah, I think you're right. 
Yeah, that's like I was trying to figure out when the end of this issue was, and so I'm kind of flipping back and forth trying to trying to figure it out. But it looks like we have. Um, I lost completely where I am, but uh, K kind of take a ship to try to take down Ulick. Meanwhile, Exar Kun is ravaging things, and he comes up upon uh, Jedi Master Ood. Uh, and Ood is like, I'm gonna save these lightsabers, do da, do da, <laughs> and um, I liked the one comment of uh, Xar Kun says something about, oh, a pity looks like I'll be chopping wood today, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, I, I always thought Ood's species was an interesting character um we see something similar happen in uh legacy where one of the jedis from the clone wars she did similar for the jedi where she rooted herself into the ground as well oh yeah um sigh or something like that or tea or something like that um but when we watch i mean we actually watch him do it uh because you know as he's about to go down he's like combat is not my skill exarcoon and he reaches down with it, I'm assuming must be his feet. So, but I can draw on the source of power you Roots. cannot imagine. The, the, yeah, the he, bottom he, of a tree is called the root. <laughs> right. Summoned from the core of Ossus, waves of the Force surge through the newly transformed Jedi Master. And, I mean, he is definitely... Like, you could see his face in the middle of this bulging mass. Uh, and he still has his hands. One of them still got the lightsaber, but... All trace of his, what you would call humanity in the form of what a man looks like is gone. I mean, he's definitely tree formed with just the arms and a gigantic big head. I mean, the arms are really the only thing that makes him look like he's anything other than a giant tree root. (laughs) Yeah. And like skipping to what I feel is the end of this issue um, is when the explosion reaches the planet it makes uh like here it says as the shockwave strikes shelter means nothing not even to a jedi master showing him like Mm -hmm. in silhouette as the the shockwave is hitting makes it seem like he's done dead but as you had said they like they talk to him they and i when i was looking up his um what else he was in, it says that they reawaken him. So, he yeah, apparently not done dead. Uh, but it he sure... basically went into the core of the planet, if I recall, uh, because his root system went so deep, he was able to survive by going down. OK, because I like I like the end how this ends, because it like also gives kind of a like a like a little like he slowly is wilting sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it gives a good visual effect. Like, I like this issue probably is the best out of the six because you get the explosion of Osis. You also get K versus Ulick, um, which is, I thought, K died in the explosion. Like, I thought he was on the planet when the explosion hit the planet. I did not remember. Oh, you got him confused with Kip Duron's... Uh family member that died on cardia oh yeah that's probably what it is but i like i could have mm-hmm. swore k was on the planet when it exploded and that's kind of um like ulik hears about it i did not remember that ulik um has an oopsie and uh uh kind of uh accidentally kills k 
<laughs> right. Because Kay's trying to bring him back and, and trying to redeem him, you know, not just for the light, but as the individual that he grew up with. And so, like, he's shooting down his brother's engines. I mean, he's he's going out of his way to hinder him without hurting him. And it's really pissing Ulick off. I mean, when they get to that moment, he's like, uh, yeah. and that's the other thing, too. The old Sith wound. Ulick, you've been injured. You're bleeding. It's an old wound. A Sith wound. There's nothing you can do about it. Ulick, I don't want to do this. And Ulick lights up his blade and they start going. He's like, but I have to save you from yourself, from the dark side. And... I mean, dude, once he loses his arm, once Kay's arm gets severed off by Ulick, you're like, oh, man, this is not going well. Because he's like, Ulick, I love you. That's why I'm doing this. And then he's like, then you should have just left me alone. And he, I mean, if he had the arm, like, he might have blocked that other one. But no, he got cut right through the rib cage. Like, and it happened so quick. You're just like, like. When you see the next panel and you see Nomi running and she's got her hand out, I thought it was her dropping a lightsaber. And then I'm like, but wait, no, she's got it on her arm. Then it, it dawned on me that was Ulick dropping the lightsaber. It was like immediately. As soon as he struck his brother down, he immediately knew what he did. But they, and, the way the panel is set up, it looks like her because the hand has mm-hmm. the same gray thing on the wrist that yeah. Nomi has. And you're right. It looks like she's dropping. The only thing that gives you the hint is the red cloak. That and th- that she's got one attached to her, her hip because that was I I was I was I saw the lightsaber on her hip first going wait no that's not her lightsaber she's got it th- and then I saw the cloak I was like oh, okay okay yeah yeah it was I would almost put that panel in the upper corner behind her head <laughs> like it would have probably worked out a little better <laughs> yeah and they, well you had uh, I I see what they were going for but you're right it's confusing I guess they didn't want to cover over uh, what was that Tate. Um, Mm-hmm. The, uh, or the dot dot Tanita dot or dot, dot Tanita. I, I I don't remember because he is such an inconsequential character. Um, <laughs> but we brought him up in previous arcs. Um, he is non-existent in this arc except in that one panel. Right. One of my favorite panels is the one where they're you know brothers are in each other's arms and okay, my brother, what have I done? God! Like he's not in each other's arm because his arm is not <laughs> attached anymore. I don't know if you remember in two panels ago, he cut off his arm. <laughs> right. Um, I think that, you know, you, we were talking about it earlier about how the ability that Nomi uses here, how everyone's like, that was so evil. I think in this moment, like, the look on her, you could tell that she's definitely channeling some darkness. She's just channeling this. Medusa. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, homie, you're going down. This is a, a Dark Willow moment. <laughs> that is totally, they got the Medusa vibes because her hair is flying around her. Um, She has the hands up. I'm like, this is like a Clash of the Titans uh, Medusa attack. If you have not mm-hmm. seen Clash of the Titans, you clearly did not grow up in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> she curses him. Like, yeah, it's it's bad. And and even as it's going down, Dot's like, What are you doing? Hasn't there been enough? <laughs> like Like I don't think he knows what she's doing because like if he did know I I guess I'm with you on that. Like it doesn't seem that that bad. Like I, I I'm living we're living this this hell. <laughs> we don't have the force. <laughs> yeah, that's I don't understand like the backlash that she gets from this. It's 
it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, this is like, would you rather just like slaughter him where he stands, which is probably what he deserves, um, or strip the force from him, which is the minimum that he deserves. <laughs> right. And and it's almost like, like it's not even really that they're stripped. It's that he's like bound, like he's in encased inside of it. She's like, I imprison you in a wall of light, a fortress to block you from the force. I blind you to your Jedi powers. I mean, like in a sense, she just made a cocoon of light that he's trapped in. Of which no she one doesn't can feel know. him and he can't feel anyone else. Of which she doesn't know how to undo. Oh, I, um, yeah, I didn't get that lesson yet. Um, it's, it's a, hold on. I need to listen to my audio book a little more on how to undo this. Yeah. What did you do? Something that Master Odin Ur taught me, a force blocking technique to neutralize an enemy without violence. But I never thought it would be so strong, so complete. <laughs> like and then he's like, I'm I'm blind to the force. I'm no longer a Jedi. Like, I mean, yeah, like that one like I can get, but I d I don't know. Like maybe that's the arrogance of the Jedi. I'm pretty sure you were no longer a Jedi. You were no longer a Jedi. Um, probably before you killed your brother, probably before you exploded 10 stars to neutralize <laughs> at least one planet. Um, when you attacked Coruscant. <laughs> oh, yeah, probably before you attacked Coruscant. We're looking. You, you, I don't know if you can use that term. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite. I don't even, I don't remember was, um, it, it was, he was like, First, uh, first, my brother die. First, my um, like I lose this, and my brother dies, and then uh, now this. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they might have got even more done on on Asa's had they actually had the Mandalorians with them because they sent the Mandalorians to Onderon to do a sneak attack. <laughs> yeah, so that's like, the next issue. I, I'm pretty sure, like. Mandalore's attack is part of the last issue. Okay. Which I don't understand. Well, so if 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 that attacks the next issue, then that happens before uh the tree guy dies. Oh, okay. I think that oh maybe not cuz uh the tree guy the definitely dies I'm almost positive on this issue. I think I, th I think you're right. I think I think that that yeah, he dies during this issue because it continues on with uh, Ulick getting taken in, and then we have that great moment between Thawne and uh, or before the Nova hits, and he's like, "I cannot question what you've done, or my friend, but I am saddened to lose you in this way. Do not grieve for me, Thrawn. This is my metamorphosis, my life cycle." I have shielded my lightsaber treasures. I have defeated Exar Kun. I am satisfied. And perhaps, my friend, Ossus will protect me enough. May the force be with you, old friend, Thom says, and he leaves. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think when they go on to Yavin on page 337 of the Omnibus, I think that's where issue 5 ends and issue 6 starts with its opening crawl. With And that is the start <coughs> of the Mandalorian attack on Onderon. Or at least continuation. I think you're right. I think yeah, continuation. Starts... They've already started it. We found out in the last issue, as it was a, the faint, and that they were there, uh, and then we we pick back up with the surprise attack, full and sway. Yeah, because it was bare. It wasn't even started. It was just them preparing to start, and then this. Yeah, the final issue is where it's in full swing. 
And the last issue's opening crawl is Dark Lord. Not Dark Lords, but Dark Lord. Because there's... You look, I don't, let me explain. Okay. I don't know if you saw, but the, the Dark Lords is plural, and one <laughs> of them is now in a cocoon of light, as you uh, put it. And so <laughs> he is no longer dark. He's in the light. Um, literally, he's uh, surrounded by light. He's, she's trapped there. And so now we remove the S because no longer plural, and we only got one guy um, there. So, yep, I'm so that, I, that I hope it. that helped. Ulick <laughs> Queldroma and Exarcoon dupe Alima into setting off a massive supernova explosion in the Kron Star Cluster, and shockwaves sweep toward the Jedi planet Ossus. Republic Commander Vanicus, working with Master Thon, Dot Danita, and K. Queldroma, Silva, and Nomi Sunrider, arranges for immediate evacuations. Desperate Jedi scramble to rescue artifacts, scrolls, holocrons, and other precious objects, sending Mandalore off to retake the former dark side world of Onderon. Ulick and Kuhn begin their assault on Ossus. Goon waits to grab the artifacts for himself before all are lost in the impending holocaust. During the surprise attack, Kay recognizes Ulick's ship and rushes aboard the Nebulon Ranger to stop his brother. After a fierce air battle, however, Ulick shoots down Kay and pursues the Ranger as it crashes to the surface. Exar Kuhn takes his Masi bodyguards and strides through the abandoned Jedi library, ransacking it for lost treasures. He encounters tree-like Master Urd, who is at work stashing a collection of ancient lightsabers in a shielded vault, hoping to protect them from the supernova firestorm. Urd resists Kuhn's attempts to steal the lightsabers by undergoing a final metamorphosis, plunging roots into the ground and driving Kuhn back with a blast of power drawn from the depths of Ossus. Unfortunately, Ood is now firmly planted and will not be able to escape the Starfire due to the strike in only a few hours. Leaving Ulick to take care of himself, Kuhn takes his bloody... Kuhn takes his booty and escapes to his secret base on Yavin 4. After downing the Nebulon Ranger, Ulick confronts Kay in the wreckage. Kay, still insisting that he can save his brother, keeps urging Ulick to return to the light side, but he refuses. As they duel with lightsabers, Kay continues to provoke Ulick, begging him to snap out of his shadowy trance caused by Sith poisons and Ulick's own burning guilt at his failure to protect Master Arca. Finally, he can no longer stand it, as Nomi Sunrider and Tot Donita rush to the stop the clash, Ulick strikes down his own brother and is left in shock and horror of what he has done. These are getting longer and longer. Uh, (laughs) So I I mentioned before that it was the Mandalorians who helped um, Exar Kun. You're right, it was not. uh, The the Krull kind of uh, emphasized it was the Masazi. The, the big red guys uh, that were mm-hmm. helping uh, Ulick, uh, not Ulick, Exar, uh, to, to pillage and plunder uh, because men, the Mandalorians are off on Onderon for some reason. Is it because we've mentioned this planet before? I don't know. This is not an important stronghold, but apparently it is an important stronghold because we're talking about it. I still don't know why. Uh, but Mandalore is defeated. Um rather unceremoniously by the creatures of, I believe, 
I don't know if it's Onderon or some of the Ducks and Moon creatures, but he gets taken down um, off screen. He was no, he's the one that they shoot. Um, yeah, because when when they're when they're coming, yeah, you're right. No, he does get taken out completely off screen. But he, we get he's the one Mandalorian that gets shot down. Oh, got one, and you're like, oh, <laughs> he's he's down there. He's he's gonna have to fight it out. But yeah, yeah, we see him surrounded by some of the the dark beasts of the Ducks Moon. Uh, but that's that's it for him. We but did you notice though that during the uh, the attack? The one Mandalorian that ends up taking his helmet was can be seen in the bottom uh, corner looking back at the actual reader. Oh, is that okay? I can, I I didn't know they all look the same. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. Well, what I don't know is like I thought that was a mask, but like later on, it looks like he puts it on over the mask of Mandalore on top of this mask. So I don't know if he's doing a mask on mask or if that actually was his face. <laughs> What's your face? Right, but it is kind of sad though that for Mandalore's arc and the arc of the Mandalorians, how quickly and unceremoniously it gets wrapped up. Um, You know, we we only get they're going to Onderon because they're doing it for Yulik because they were ordered to do it. But like I said, I I, I don't. It doesn't make sense. Like why? No, it it doesn't. It it, it seems like an ego thing for Yulik. He wants to just take over any place that had dark side energy. Yeah, and so that that. But we do get a wrap-up. Like I said, we had three main villains in this. We had Exar, Ulik, and Mandalore. Um, Mandalore's kind of thrown in at the beginning of the arc, and but he is throughout the arc one of the main villains. Alima, um, not really a major villain in this um, arc. Uh, like, she does get taken care of, and her arc... She was the Rita Repulsa of the season one, and then we find out, like, she's got a boss, and that's where we're at now. It's like, eh, she's, she was an old boss. Yeah, <laughs> she was a villain, and she kind of, like, got supplanted by somebody worse. But she gets taken care of. This is where we find Mandalore's story arc ending. Um, satisfactory? No, but it's ending. So it's... <laughs> um, but we do get, like, um, Ulick's arc is now... Uh, at least his villain arc is done. Um, and so we need to deal with the last Dark Lord, Exar Kun, who flees back to Yavin 4. He knows he's defeated. And so when all the Jedi show up to um, uh, take pot shots at him, he's like, I need to do something drastic. At which point he <laughs> chains himself up inside his temple and releases all of the, um, uh, what's this? Uh, even as the Jedi approach, Exar Kun prepares himself to unleash his powerful spirit to shed the chains of his mortal body and run rampant throughout the cosmos. My spirit will live forever! forever. But what doesn't make sense is, like, from Kun's point of view, though, they're winning. Like, he got the Spoils Award. The last thing he said when he was leaving was, I'm going to go to Yavin 4 and I'm going to, you know, read up on all this stuff. And yet then he goes to Yavin 4 and he's like, they're coming to get me! <laughs> like, that doesn't make quite sense. And the sad thing, too, is, like, when the Jedi show up, Nomi's like, we must create a wall of light, either to cleanse or to destroy. And yet everything Kun does, like, he does it to himself. Like, the Jedi showing up, like... 
it's almost like the Jedi showing up was only integral in the aspect of Kuhn needs to realize that he's losing because unless the Jedi show up, he was winning. You know, it, it, it feels almost like an Indiana Jones thing here. Like if the Jedi wouldn't have shown up, he'd have done this either way and got himself well, trapped. Well, I think so. I, I think we're missing a little bit of the story. Um, so he he releases his spirit and he says, run rampant throughout the cosmos. We know that does not happen. I believe right. it's because of the wall of light that the Jedi enact hold his spirit in the temple. That would make sense. Because they're definitely, I feel like the next part, the the narration doesn't work. Because it says, the wall of light generated generated by many Jedi becomes a crushing blow for the light side of the force. I'm like a crushing blow. Shouldn't that say for the dark side of the force? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then it says a flood that sweeps down and extinguishes the corrupted power of the Sith and to stop XR. So yeah, if that was switched and, and you know, I they added a little more to that. I think it would have been a little more obvious, but I think, yeah, you're right. I think when you get to, uh, 346 of the omnibus. I think that that scene with the Jedi all up above is doing exactly what you're saying. And ironically, though, that that light also, in a sense, destroys the planet because but the light side power triggers a terrible destruction in its wake and the forests catch on fire. Yes, I think so. I think but I think it, what happened is that Uxar Kun's spirit went up, his power went up, deflected off of the light shield and radiated back down because you can see the lightning strikes coming down. I think it just, and you can see his spirit going up towards the ships. I think it deflected everything back down into the planet. It was just that makes sense. poorly explained in the story itself. It was going, yeah. it was going for the show don't tell, um, where we could have <laughs> used more tell. Um, like the show was fine. We just needed more tell. <laughs> right. And it, it definitely, I feel like the sixth issue wraps things up almost too quick to be satisfactory. Um, you know, because like with that, they're going and like, yeah, but at what cost? Yeah, so what cost indeed? And then we go back to the Ducks and Moon. The other surviving Mandalorian warriors search for their primeval, search the primeval jungles for their lost leader. Mandalore! He's gone. Wait, I see something. And they find the helmet and the guy puts it on his face and he says, that was, seeing the fallen mask. Hold on, that was not one of the Mandalorians, that was the Predator. <laughs> yeah, right, he does look like the Predator. Yes! <laughs> yes. Uh, seeing the fallen mask, the warrior knows that the tradition must continue, and he puts it on over his face and says, I'm the new Mandalorian. So that's got to be his face, then. Like, I, I mean, it looks like a Klingon forehead, and, <laughs> like, it. I don't know, man. I thought it was a mask until he put the other mask on top of it. But that's it. Like, uh, the Mandalorians are done with this story. Um, and we won't see them again until, uh, till, uh, the, why can I not think of Zane Carrick's story? Uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah. Yeah. And that takes place, that takes place before this. Really? Yes, I believe. Maybe no. Hold on. No I, way. No, you're like, right, dude. If so, you just blew my mind. No, no, because... no. You're right. Knights <laughs> of the Old Republic takes place after this, but pretty quickly after this. Actually, there's not much. Uh, um, 
because I remember playing the game, you could get uh, Keldroma's robes and stuff. Like they were, yes, because uh, you're right. I, I'm, find I'm mixing up Exarcoon with Revan in my head. Because um, mm-hmm. I'm like, Revan is in Knights of the World Plague. But I was like, oh, wait, no, no okay. Um, you're right. So the Knights of the World Plague takes place, uh, is br- pretty much the next story after Redemption. Um, right. And even, even here in the last few pages, we just jump two years later after yep. the Mandalorians uh, grabbed the mask. Yeah, we jump We jump two years where we have Ulick, um looking very sad, very sad. And he is on Yavin looking for what? I don't know. Like, he's looking to make sure everyone's like... Are you are you sure everything's settled here? Because uh, it's been two years. I just wanted to double check. I le- I lost my keys. Um, right. They were they were here somewhere. <laughs> like I don't know why he's there. Uh, I do like the uh, the Mount Saint Helens destruction look of Yavin Four though. Not a tree one standing. Yeah, <laughs> and I like how they left Exar Kun just kind of trapped in the darkness, like nobody can hear him. Right. That is probably one of my favorite endings to a story. Um, in the way that, that is presented, you know, as, as he's walking through and he's like, I'm deaf to the force. I can sense nothing here other than the sadness and destruction that my own eyes tell me. And he pulls his hood up. It's like still searching, still lost. Yulik Kaldroma walks away. There's nothing for me in this place. And then it goes to the blackness. Like he's like, Yulik, I can feel you out there. It's dark. I'm trapped. I survived, but I'm trapped. Ulick! And we see his face in the darkness, which I think is kind of cool. Like, he did retain some of that. Why don't you answer me? And his face starts blending back into the darkness. Don't leave me. Ulick! Ulick! And, I mean, if you know where his fate goes from there, you know, and then I, I think about that story and, and the character of Kuhn when he's in that story and where he goes from there to the to that story and how pissed off he is like oh man he gets like a whole second life as another villain because of it all it's just brilliant it's uh so like anybody who doesn't know this ties in directly with jedi academy where xr coon comes back jedi academy was written first and then this was written to kind of show you where xr coon came from it, it, like the mm-hmm. whole Tales of the Jedi series, it was like we had a whole bunch of different plot points, different characters that were mentioned in these um, post-Return of the Jedi series. Well, we want to tie them all together. And that's kind of where we get like because Ulick was mentioned uh, much later in the these post-Return um, of the Jedi stories. Exar Kun and Tales are in uh, Jedi Academy. And, well, we're going to put them all together in the same series. And uh, because I think... Ulick's storyline was some of no Jedi has ever returned from the dark side except for one, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, and, and a lot of that, too, I, I, I wonder if we'll ever see that brought over into canon. Like, the Lost 20, I don't think the Lost 20 exists in canon anymore. Well, they um, have to exist in twenty because, in canon because it's that's what is mentioned in Attack of the Clones. They specifically state the Lost 20 in Attack of the Clones. 
Well, then, then they do exist. Yeah. <laughs> we just got to get some detail. Yeah, all we um, know is Dooku uh, yeah, is one of them. I think that's the only one we know. <laughs> or the last one, we hope, maybe. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's always the, the game that they play with as they pull back the curtain on a timeline and on a on a history of stuff. Like, you know, uh, currently in the, the comics, we're finding out that there was two Sith Lords that were put into to this kind of prison that froze them in light, in a sense, and they're being freed. So I'm like, ooh, this could be interesting. Um, there's a lot of concepts in this story that I would love to see them take and bring into canon more. Um, you know, the idea of, of trapping someone in light and, and being severed from the forest and cut off from the forest. That's something Legends played with a few times. We even saw the Vong, who were a race, in a sense, that were were same, cut off from the forest. Um it was definitely something that they weren't doing much of, except for in the comics. Um, I felt like at this time frame, when these stories were being wrote, the comics were really pushing the bounds of reality in the in-universe realm because they were a comic. They're like, well, we can get away with a lot more because if anyone goes, hey, foul, we'll just be like, it's a comic. <laughs> well, I think that um, of the Disney canon the sequel trilogy is really the only ones who have attempted to push the bounds of the force. Like we see um, Kylo stop the bolt in midair in the force Mm -hmm. awakens. That was the, the, like really early in the movie. And it was that that first attempt where like, Oh, they're doing new things here. We had Luke do his force projection across the galaxy. Um, And I think it's like that sort of thing. Like we don't see much in the TV shows because the TV shows don't have much force users except for Rebels. And Rebels is not Luke level powers. You had basically a Padawan um, and like his journey through the temple where we do get a little bit of new force usages. Uh, But here with like in the comic series is here is where they were really exploring all these force force possibilities, I guess. Right. Well, I think uh, this would be a good spot to jump into our follow-up. How would we rate it? Should it be brought into canon? Uh, What would need to be changed to be adopted into canon? And the covers. Um, Me, I'm going to rate this one an 8.5. I think it's pretty good, pretty solid. Uh, Taking into consideration the nature of how this story was originally presented, it definitely has that classic Star Wars feel of being, you know, machete order all over the place. Um, so it, it definitely has that Star Wars feel from the Lucas standpoint of how we're going to tell the story. Uh, I like that. I like the characters that are the heart and the core. Um, and I've always said in Legends, it was always about the Sith, the Jedi and the Mandalorians. And this story personified that we've seen those three kind of come over into canon, but the Jedi and the Mandalorians are getting more love in canon than the Sith. It's kind of, it's kind of nuts. Um, whereas in legends, it was the Mandalorians that kind of took the downside. Like as things move forward, they became less of a culture and more of a, a remnant of the culture. Um, but I love seeing them at this time frame when they're first introduced and you know what they're going to be and how their culture starts to evolve. And then what comes later with the Knights of the Old Republic and how they factor so heavily into that. Um, definitely one of my favorite eras in Legends. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with a high eight and a half. So anybody who's listened to me, I'm generally uh, I, I have a tendency to not give eights and above unless it's something I really like. If I give something an eight, I really like it. I'm giving this one a nine. Nice. Because 
I do. I really like it. It does have some, like, it's not a 10. It did not, it has some shortfalls in the storytelling. Like, um, like, why is Mandalore attacking Onderon? Doesn't make sense other than we've seen Onderon. What happened? Why did Mandalore, uh, the battle between Ulick and Mandalore, I feel could have been fleshed out quite a bit more, cut some other stuff um, to flesh that out because that that battle made you needed that battle that battle was an important battle um it basically defined the entire arc where mandalore became one of the big three uh factors that you had to deal with and so it's little things like that some of the artwork was um a little shady uh but generally i loved the artwork and so yeah i definitely definitely would equate it with a nine um can you bring it over uh i I I like it. I I think you can. It I feel it like like after all is said and done, this could be it's so far back in time. It could be like our Gilgamesh. Like it's uh mm-hmm. it's historical stories that may not have been accurate, but this is what they tell. They could you could literally just bring the whole thing over like it doesn't really conflict with anything cuz it's so far back. Um these are the historical stories. They may not be right. They may not be accurate, but this is the stories that have survived. Oh, agreed. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that same, that it could easily be moved over whole piece. Um, the biggest thing I think is going to be as they flesh out more of the past story and more of what's going on with the Sith. Um, I mean, it, it's easy to move it right now. If they were to tell something with the Sith that made it where it'd be hard to have like a gap, like if the Sith were being active right now, you wouldn't be able to put this in into that time frame. Um, you'd have to find where to put it. But right now it's wide open. I think that that would be an awesome one to see moved over. And I think that, you know, there are enough people out there that were fans of Legends that would like to see certain main events come over. Um, you know, we've seen like Thrawn come over, but we, we're seeing characters. I want to see events come over. I want to see certain stories kind of come over it, that can, you know, I mean, there's no reason why this story or even a story like, uh, Knight Errant, uh, couldn't be brought over eventually in these older eras, especially if they play it right. You know, as long as they don't write in that the Sith were formed, like, you know, a hundred years before the, the recent wave of the high Republic, <laughs> That would really yeah. hamstring them. Well, I feel like <laughs> Knight Errant 2 feels like, um, what's that, Visions. So Visions played a lot with the Sith. And I know mm-hmm. Visions is not canon, but there's really no reason it can't be canon. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the stories are very self-contained in their section of space. It's like, these are the Sith in this area. They're not galaxy-wide Sith. They're not, like, conquering right. everything. They're kind of, like, self-contained little areas. Knight Errant was essentially a self-contained little area of a story. Like, it all took mm-hmm. place in this one little area of space. And it it, it feels very similar, in my mind at least, uh, to the Vision's, uh, like, storytelling. So, yeah, I could definitely see that. Um Right. And as I mentioned, like Tales of the Jedi, I mentioned it oh, um, a while ago and a couple of times that this is probably one of my favorite Star Wars stories ever. And then we were going through it. and I'm like, I thought it was better, um, but I know the later stories get better. And but I don't know yet because we're not there yet. I was right. This is still one of my favorite story, Star Wars stories because like we, we've hit that point where I really love it. It The buildup worked. We're here. We're in the good parts. Um the last arc 
uh, is also like one of my favorites just because of what we um, eventually will see uh, with it. And I feel like it's a good, um, what's the, what's the term? Um, I'm thinking Cato. Uh, the, the Cadence? No, not Cadence. The, the thing that comes after a story. Uh, oh, like a conclusion, but uh, yeah, it's like a like a where you kind of um, go back to the story, but kind of like give like a little um, wrap up to the story the after the story sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The afterward, yeah. And so I think like redemption is like the, the perfect uh, follow up to it. But where we get left now, I think is really like because when you were getting released at the time, this was it. They jumped back mm-hmm. in time a thousand years. We didn't know we would get anything else. Or not me. I didn't right. read it at the time. But readers didn't know they'd get anything else. Well, and Kevin J. Anderson, I mean, this is like him at, at his height. Like, he was telling really good stories at this time frame where everybody was like, yeah, you should check this one out. Like, like I kind of wish that they would bring him back to tell, like, a story in canon. You know, like, I, I miss a lot of these older storytellers that just aren't telling stories anymore in Star Wars. Yeah, I think he was good. I like I I do um he runs his own publishing company and I do uh actually work uh for him. I do oh, nice. uh proof proof edits of stories. And nice. so I um yeah, I have had uh interactions with him and he's uh he's a That's great guy. Cool. Uh he's still he's doing the Dune universe, so he's definitely still out there authoring. And uh um, Right. He does good. He does good and work. That's a big still. one to play in. Oh yeah, <laughs> he does good. He do, he still is uh, doing really good work. So I uh, definitely love to see if him if he came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking covers, we've got six covers to talk about. We've got a trade paperback, the omnibus, and the uh, legacy, or what are they calling it exactly? It is called the Legends Epic Collection. Uh, so we got nine altogether. Uh, the first one is a duplicate. They use this one later for one of the trades. Uh, it's uh, This one's one of my favorites. It's got a really cool grittiness to it. We got Mandalore in the background. We've got, I'm assuming, it looks like it's Mandalore's fist, but it's definitely got to be Exar Kun's fist because we got the Sith uh, Van Brace going on there with the logo with the fist up in the air. And then Exar Kun, or not Exar Kun, uh, Yulik Quadrama in his Jedi warrior outfit. Uh, it has that. It looks like K. I think that's K. You think that's K? That's def- that could be that's K. That's definitely K. It, it has the feeling of the old McQuarrie um, Skywalker. Yeah, that's, def- that's definitely K. Okay. I, just, I thought the hair was darker than K. So. But I, I like the nature of the costuming. I like the, the way it's set up. You've got Yavin 4 in the background. Uh, one of the temples and stuff. The coloring is kind of cool. It has a very Star Wars feel to it. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's not my favorite. <laughs> like the second one is. It feels like it's like a, a trapped moment in a story. Uh, as Exar Kun is destroying the holocron and the Sith spirits are coming out. What's funny though is like the Jedi Knights have their arms up almost like they're like zombified, like. <laughs> reaching for it like i can't get enough of those dead spirits like <laughs> but and so but, it almost has a tops trading card feel but, but xr coon has the oh expletive look on his face like that's not what i meant to do <laughs> right this one i think out of all of them like i coon looks very photorealistic but it definitely has that tops trading card feel 
you know? Yeah, I don't like this one at all. Um, <laughs> era, the, the artwork is subpar compared to the other ones, and it it's just corny. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't seem to fit with the, like, it obviously is a moment of the story, but it doesn't seem to fit the story. Right. I kind of feel that way with the third one. Like, it, it's a capture of a moment in the story, but I feel like it's all presented differently. Like, the outfits that the characters are wearing is completely different in the actual story. I mean, this looks cool. It's a great moment where uh, Boss is about to go down by Kuhn, and he's got his double lightsabers and the staff going. Uh, again, it's got that Topps trading card feel to it, and I, I think that's probably one of the things that I have endearing feelings for it. Like, this would make a killer Topps card. But cover-wise, that that feels like the run-of-the-mill of this era of covers were almost all like that. Yeah, they, they all have a general not-cover feel to them. Like, the covers we know, it's like a standout moment of the comic, or even it doesn't even need to be a moment of the comic. Like, we see so many covers that have nothing to do with the comic, but it's kind of mm-hmm. you get the feeling of the comic. This feels like it should be a page in the comic. Right. The fourth one almost feels like a Norman Rockwell. <laughs> the, like... the fourth one, I like. I don't like it, but I like it. <laughs> it. It almost doesn't fit because it almost feels like it should be in the last story. But we do have the moment where the beasts come out. Uh, we're back on uh, Thrawn's homeworld and the, the beasts are attacking out of the pit. Uh, Nomi's got her daughter. I mean, it definitely feels like from the last story, not this story, but yet it did happen in this story, so it does fit. Yeah, like I like the art. I think the artwork's great. I think it looks fantastic, but I don't like the story. Like I don't like the picture as it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the fifth one is an action shot. We see uh, Ulick slashing at his brother. I, I mean, it works. This one is definitely one of my least favorites of the groups. Um, I don't know. There's something about the way that the the motion is caught in the background. It it reminds me of Cato losing his head all over again. (laughs) It's so the, I like this one. It's probably one of my favorite, uh, uh, one of the top two ones. If it wasn't for the fact that Ulick's lightsaber is pink, um, which is weird, (laughs) but it also matches the text of the cover. I have nothing wrong with pink, but it's a very weird where all of a sudden the text is in pink and the lightsaber's in pink. And it doesn't, like, I don't know if it's just because I'm looking at it on my computer, but it's, like, it's one of those, like, it doesn't fit the rest of the right. image. Right. The sixth one fits with the end of the story, yet, I don't know, it feels a little lackluster. Uh, we got Kuhn. He's, like, doing this, ah, he's got me kind of thing. He's bathed in light, and then we've got the Jedi with their eyes closed looking down. But really, of the five Jedi present, only one of them there is one that we really know well. The other ones are kind of like, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming that that's supposed to be Dot, and that's supposed to be uh, Os, and the other one is supposed to be Silva next to the dragon-looking dude, but and, I, I don't know. But I, also, I feel a disconnect. Yes, yeah, so, and you... And uh, the dragon-looking dude, I think, is the one who died in the explosion of the star. And then you also yeah. have Nomi in the background as the other, um, the other person. This is probably my favorite of the six, which is not saying much because they're all not very good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving from that, we go to our trade paperback, which for me, when I stop and I think about the story, 
clearly I read it in the trade paperback because this is the cover that I think of all the time. Um, we've got that kind of almost uh, Robert Downey Jr. look to Ulick. Um Coon in the background. The shadows are really filling him. Nomi doesn't really look like Nomi. I mean, I'm assuming that's supposed to be Nomi. Maybe that's Alima. <laughs> we got the beast in the background and we got the Maasai. Um, I, I feel like certain core elements are here, but I also feel like it's like a really bad movie poster. Um, Yeah, bad movie poster. It's basically, it's, it is what it is. Like there, None of the covers are very good. <laughs> Right. Uh, we talked about the Omnibus Volume 2 before. It's the uh, basically a standalone version of Nomi and her daughter with the beasts around them. Which, Not at all a fan. Which actually is probably from this story. Because we were talking about that it came from the Nomi story, but it's probably from this story. Yeah. Now that you mention it. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the Star Wars Legends Epic Collection Tales of the Jedi Volume 3 is the cover for Volume or uh, Issue 1 of the comics. So... Uh, I like the fact that they went and, and used one of those instead of creating something new like they did with the other two. Um, just kind of classic. Good way to go about it. Way to go. Now that about wraps up this episode of Stars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher as well as on Spotify and even on iTunes. And as always, we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in the search bar. No matter how you get there, though, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars questions or any other questions out there, you know, just fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Report, you get a free trial run of Audible to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars universe, the expanded universe, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this is Ben, Mark, and Whistler. And Jim. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that you'll hear us again ever <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Will they hear us twice in the end of the year? That is a choice. We're trying here. We're trying. We're both very uh, busy. I'm, oh my gosh. Yeah, so did I tell you that my troop is merged with the other troop in town that's 22? You did not. Yeah, so that's like been that's been going on since April. Um, we're at the final crunch of it. I'm an assistant scoutmaster in their troop, even though I'm the acting scoutmaster for both troops. 
And at the end of this year, my troop officially dissolves and we become so their troop. So are you your own assistant then? Yeah. It's nice to, degree, to have someone yeah. you can rely on. Right? And somebody I can lay all the blame on. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was that assistant. Yeah. <laughs> it's that, that a-hole, that Jedi fool, man. <laughs> 